we started with last week was the first verse actually of Philippians 4. We just looked at that first verse and we drew uh, three resolutions out of that, three considerations for us to pursue as we move into the new year. I'm just going to quickly put them up so that we're just connecting these two additional ones to the three that we, we covered last week. Again, using these first few verses out of Philippians 4 as a context. Now, the first resolution we talked about had to do with our idea of positioning ourselves, again, as a way of looking at what we were building. So we talked about resolving to assess and reflect upon what we were building. We talked about our life as something we were building. And so, again, what I prayed about, what I already just talked about, that was one of the real uh, contentions we were making. Let's do this. Secondly, we talked about resolving to, uh, you know, nurture and to reaffirm our most meaningful relationships. We talked about how the Apostle Paul was so lavish with his praise for the church at Philippi. In that first verse, he just shared his heart. He tells them how much they mean to him. He says, you're my dear friends. I love you. I miss you. We talked about perhaps that for some of us, this is a time for us to intentionally reset ourselves towards a point of tenderness. That maybe for, for some of us, it might even be a real new aspect of our life that is connected to this new life with God, that we start to become more vulnerable, more, more tender in our dealings, um, that we choose to do this in, in our key relationships, our most meaningful relationships, that we're not taking those relationships for granted, but we're, we're watering them and, and being patient with that and seeking to have that really flourish. Thirdly, we talked about in that same verse this need, and we said it wasn't the least important, it was just a third piece. We talked about resolving to stay true to the Lord. Paul even says it, stay true to the Lord. This idea of, of life, you know, we, we think about the beginning of a year, and oftentimes uh, we don't know what a year will bring. Certainly by the time this year is done, uh, there will be times where things get hard for some of us. It, it can come in a variety of ways. There are going to be times, and again, we explored this last week, when we're going to feel uh, that it's, that's not fair, what we're having to walk through, or perhaps we will feel like the Lord hasn't really been there or he hasn't come through for us. We talked about Jeremiah last week and how he bore his heart to God and he says, you're here is unreliable to me. You know, like a, like a stream that can't be trusted. It dries up and, and God was working with him and telling him, you know, don't, don't think like that. Change your attitude. Trust me. Uh, walk with me. Even in the dry places of life, I will be there. And this whole idea is I will make you strong. So we talked about staying true to the Lord through the ups and downs of life, cultivating with intention and perseverance, this life of faith with God, so that he is a friend who we have through this entire journey of our lifetime and into the next. Three resolutions for a new year. Now, where we took that from was from Philippians 4, verse number 1. We're going to read 1 through 3 together, then we'll start talking a little bit more about where I'd like us to go in the time that we have left. So Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, stay true to the Lord. I love you. I long to see you, my dear friends, for you are my joy. You're the crown that I receive for my work. I'm so proud of you. You're such a special group of people. And then something happens because there's a shift that takes place. After this moment of just amazing praise and affirmation in which he is, in a, in a way, saying, you, you are the, the jewel of, of my work, he says, but there's something I want to talk to you about that's a problem that I see emerging. And I need you to pay attention to it. Look what he says. Because evidently, there was a division in the church between, particularly in this case, between two leading women. It had to do with a woman named Euodia, and in other words, another woman named Syntyche. Look what it says here. It says, now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. 
uh, he then goes on to say, and I ask you, my true partner, and we don't know the, na the name of the, the true partner. We don't know who specifically Paul was referring to. Oh, we know it was someone who he trusted as a leader, but basically he implored the leader in the church to not ignore this emerging division that was causing he, what he saw probably people to take sides. And with these two impressive leading women in the congregation, uh, there was a strong enough disagreement that Paul, he couldn't be there. Remember, where is Paul? Paul's sitting uh, in a place of confinement. He is uh, in a, under house arrest at, in Rome. He cannot go to Philippi. He has to send this message through his written words. And it's become uh, clear to him that there is this division that has taken place, and he wants them to address it. And so he says, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they've worked hard with me in telling others about the good news. Look at this. They've worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the Book of Life, who share in this great promise of eternal life. He was basically saying is these are two amazing women who have been a tremendous blessing to this work, to me personally. Um, and yet he says, I've, I've realized that there's a problem here and we need to address it. Because if we don't address it, this level of discord is going to have an adverse effect and it's going to really damage this good thing that God is doing. So he's talking about relational conflict. That's what he's talking about that's going on. And I think we, we both understand. And in fact, one of the interesting things here is he doesn't really assess blame. He doesn't say, you know, Euodia is right, Syntyche, she's wrong. Uh, they don't even tell us what the issue really was, actually. It, it's just that we're, we're being, they're being asked to resolve their disagreement because it's unhelpful, it's not good. And so kind of you know, something that we understand here is that it's true for any church, it's true for any community, it's true for any organization, it's true for a family, that there is a danger in discord and there is a power in unity. You know, Jesus himself was very aware of that principle uh, in his final hours when he prayed. He prayed words that were directly addressing this issue. And I put them in the handout, John 17. Again, these are some of the final things that Jesus said in his earthly ministry prior to his arrest, um, which was on the heels of his betrayal, which resulted in the crucifixion. And then finally, out of that death comes the possibility of resurrection and life, which changes the world as we know it. But having said that, his final words have great meaning. It's one of the rare moments in John 17 where Jesus actually prays directly for people who will be affected by the, by the words that the disciples are going to be sharing. He actually prays for us. Now, in a way, all the words of Christ are for all of us. But in some ways, this is a unique way in which Jesus says it. Look with me. John 17, verse 20 through 22. Jesus says this. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever... He's talking to the Father. He's praying to the Father. He says, but I'm also praying for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. Look at that. That's us. He's praying through time for you and me. Anybody who's affected by this message, this good news that they're going to be proclaiming about who I am and what I've done and how I can change a life, all those who will believe on me because of their message, I pray for them even now, he says, and I pray that they will all be one, which is an interesting thing just to point out that some of us, we are invited to pray for generations yet unborn. It, that there is such a thing as praying down the line to things that we will never see with our own eyes. But in, by faith, we pray into it and believe for it. And Jesus prays into the future. In his case, he, he saw it. And he said, I pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. You know what the irony, of course, is here? 
that even as Jesus is praying for them to be in unity, he, it is, as he is praying, there is disunity already, discord asserting itself in that very group. Think about it. Already Jesus is experiencing discord, right? Because of the, 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 the choice of Judas to betray the Lord. And it's a reminder that if, if even Jesus had to deal with relational discord, then none of us will be exempt from it, all right? I mean, that's just a given. I mean, you think about this. The Lord, and so it makes his words all the more meaningful because even as he was praying them, one of his own, one of his own was leading a pack of men armed to the teeth to take him by force, and, it, and then he would betray him with a kiss by the time he was done. And Jesus would say, my friend, do you betray me with a kiss? That discord that was already there, but, you know, Jesus prayed for unity. You know, even Paul, I was thinking about this, Paul himself, um, who was writing these words, even he had experienced, albeit not to the same degree of, uh, as Jesus did in relation to, to Judas, which was the ultimate sort of point of division, right? Jesus experienced the ultimate relational conflict. Uh, but Paul himself, who was writing these words to the church at Philippi and to the two um, women here, uh, you know, Euodius and Syntyche, he's writing them about not allowing their hearts to get offended at one another and to be entrenched in their division. And even as he's writing, though, one of the things we understand that Paul himself was not exempt from relational conflict. I mean, as, I, as, I, as I was looking at his appeal that he's making, I, rem- I was reminded of the fact that he himself had, at least on one significant occasion, a serious uh, breakdown relationally. I put this in your hand out there just as a way of letting everybody kind of just understand it. It actually happened over, over a disagreement on a personnel issue. It had to do with Paul, who had a partner in ministry named Barnabas. Barnabas, who had been Paul's first sponsor, as Paul had his life radically altered, going from a persecutor of the church to a, a follower of the Lord, to an emerging leader in the, Lord, in the Lord's work, uh, it was important, though, there were a lot of people that suspected this Saul of Tarsus who had previously breathed slaughterings and murder, right, and hated the cause of Christ. And so one of the things we know that happened is that Barnabas, this man named Barnabas, uh, sort of becomes his sponsor. And that seems to be Barnabas's gift. The, the point being, I don't want to go completely into this, is that Barnabas and Paul have this, this serious disagreement. It occurs over a young man named John Mark, who, interestingly enough, Mark, Mark's gospel is the second gospel. That's the same Mark, John Mark, the gospel of Mark. But John Mark was someone who Paul did not hold in high regard because there had been a, an occasion where they had been on a, on a ministry uh, excursion, I would call it assignment, an initiative had been taken, and John Mark had been invited to come along, and he had quit. Paul had no toleration for people who said they would do something and then quit. And of course, Barnabas is this other, has this completely other gift. He's a believer. He gives people second chances. And so there's such a strong division that occurs that it actually, there's a relational tear that is recorded as taking place. And it's fascinating. Again, look at it with me. It says here that after some time, it says, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how uh, the word of the, uh, see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. He said, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, he had quit. 
It says their disagreement, this is what the Bible tells us, it's a fascinating insight. He says their disagreement was so sharp that they felt compelled to separate. They separated. The intensity of the disagreement that takes place over whether or not John Mark should be allowed to accompany them uh, is so strong that they feel compelled to agree to disagree and go in a separate direction. And in fact, Paul takes a new person with him. That man's name is Silas. It will be Paul and Silas who actually are the ones who found the church at Philippi because Barnabas and John Mark went off in a different direction. So here are two people, enormously connected friends, who have such a fierce disagreement over a philosophical issue, that a personnel issue, that a reorganization, to put it in our own way of looking at it, is actually needed to settle the issue. And they, they part as friends, they part as brothers, but it is a real parting, and one can assume that if they're human beings like us, there would have been some residue of, of hurt and, and misunderstanding that was there. Later on, Paul will come to actually have great affection for, for John Mark and see his value. But initially, there was a tension that created a conflict, and that difference of opinion created a situation where a separation was required in, in, in between two people who had deep affection for one another. I say that because that leads to this point, this, this resolution. This, you know, first of the two that we're going to look at here, the fourth overall. Um, I wanted us just to be aware of this as we move into this new year, and that is this, that let us also resolve um, to minimize as much as possible uh, relational strife. And the reason I say that is because some of life's greatest uh, pain, uh, anxiety, the source of stress is connected to people issues. Now, maybe even right now, some of us have issues that are going on in the workplace between coworkers. It can happen between coworkers. It can happen between friends. Friendships break down. We certainly know it can happen in a home, in a marriage as well. Clearly, that's possible. It happens all the time. But at a friendship level and church level, it, 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 listen, wherever there are broken people, there will be broken relationships. And we're all broken. So that, that, that this part of life is, is I had to, conflict is, listen, if it was real for Jesus, it was real for Paul, it's going to be real for us. And that's just the way things, there will be times where we experience relational strife. Some of it will be because of things that we've done. Other times it will be because of choices other people are making. But, we, but many of us, even right now, are feeling the weight, the stress of, of relational tension. And it's, it's amazed me as the years have gone by about how easy it is. I, I didn't know this when I was younger. I didn't understand it. It's, um, it's become apparent to me now as the years have gone by how fragile relationships truly are and how easy it is for relationships to disintegrate and how easy it is for hurt feelings to prevail, for misunderstandings to overtake a relational landscape and to create an entrenchment where people who once had deep affection for one another are now in, 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 in opposition to one another or, or angry with one another. And we may be experiencing that right now. We make conflict, whether it's in a minor tone or a major tone, is, is just not a fun thing. And when it involves a lot, it will add stress to our lives and it's just something that we need to be aware of. I think one of the things we need to resolve to do as much as we can is to be a people who seek for relational peace and pursue unity. And again, that's what we just talked about. I think a lot of strife can be minimized or at least um, avo maybe avoided would be a stronger word, but at least minimized by a choice on our part um, you know, to, to take a more humble path with things. 
that a lot of times the, the conflicts that occur in life occur because our pride is injured or we feel that we've been demeaned. And I was reminded of, a, of, of the wisdom of Proverbs 15.1, a wisdom which I wished I had have, have lived by more closely as the years have gone by. It says this, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's very easy when we feel taken advantage of or someone says something to us that offends us or makes us angry to re react to that and to, and to respond in like kind to hurt back. Because when we're hurt, we hurt. And so this happens. And it, become, and it can become a very unhealthy pattern in, in life where we have a, a pattern of hurting uh, other people with our words or conflict follows us. Or, and, and I think that one of the things that for some of us, maybe a part, for some of us, a resolution that would have great meaning for us is to seek to have more intention about pursuing relational peace in our closest circles and also in the circles that, it, that go beyond that into the workplace and into our, our other networks of friendships and relationships. I, I think it's gonna, there are going to be times where when we, are, we experience uh, an issue that we could feel justified in our offense, that we are going to have to decide how we're, how we're going to react. Are we going to escalate this or are we going to calm the waters? Uh, I, I think sometimes um, the, the tension arises uh, often because we have to decide how much effort we're going to put in to work for reconciliation. And that's a, a real issue sometimes. I was just kind of thinking about this. We'll have to ask ourselves sometimes when, when a misunderstanding is emerging how flexible we are willing to be. And I think that's where counsel comes in. I think that's where the value of having small groups where we can throw things off of people, pray for, for wisdom, you know? Because again, a lot of times when we get mad at somebody, you know, or mad at, or we're interpreting something that was said, you know, we type it up and bang, you know, back to you. And, and that's react, right? That's react. And a lot of times, if we would just filter ourselves by sending it over to somebody, hey, take a look at this and tell me what you think, that action alone would keep us from having an escalation, which so easily can occur. Well, I think a lot of times we get to ask ourselves these questions. To what degree are we willing to overlook a fault? Uh, to what level are we willing to accept responsibility on our end and not require it of someone else? Right? Does it matter if the other person only sees it as our issue? It doesn't feel responsible. I mean, I think it's a lot easier when both of us might say, you know what, I know, I was wrong. The other one says, yeah, I know, I was wrong. But when we say, you know, I, I felt bad about what I did, and the other person says, well, you should. You know, it's like, <laughs> wait, wait a second. I didn't really mean that. I didn't mean it. I meant, I meant that we both share in this. I need to hear something from you. All right? Because it's not just all me. And we have to decide how we're going to react when that occurs, right? Because a lot of times when we make the effort to reconcile, the response of the other person has a lot to do with another. It can either escalate what we have to deal with, <laughs> right? And sometimes it, we have to ask ourselves, are we just going to concede? Are we going to stand up for our rights? Are we going to seek a compromise or a win-win? Um, is a win-win even possible here? I mean, I talked to someone after service last night. And there were a few people who came up and were talking about this. And one of them came up and they said, you know, there's a situation in my workplace right now where I'm feeling tremendously, uh, they were talking about some a conflict that was going on. And, and I said, look, they want to know what they should do. And I said, look, I, I don't know enough about the cultural climate that you're in. And I really don't know enough about the dynamics of the people you're involved with. But I can tell you one thing. 
I said, if it's at all possible, seek to live at peace. And I said, remember that verse we looked at? And this is the verse we looked at. It would be in Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. And I said, look, remember what the, what the Lord teaches us. It says, never pay back what? Evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone, what, can see that we're honorable. And the last phrase, do what you can to live in peace with everyone. That, the, the older version says, as much as lies within you, seek to live at peace with everyone. How, see, uh, that is a critical, uh, that doesn't mean that, that we walk around, uh, uh, you know, closing our eyes to obvious injustice. It doesn't mean that we become participants in dysfunctional situations where we essentially are becoming a codependent to something that is clearly unhealthy and wrong. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is trying to reduce the overall level of conflict in our lives, to be intentional about not reacting to things, not taking offense at things. We're going to talk about this in a moment, but seeking to live at peace as much as we can because then there's enough problems in life that will find us. And add, there's things we can't control. I can't control a lot of parts of my life. Some, I mean, I, I can do some things to affect my health, but I really don't. Even at some level, can't control that. Can't control uh, what's going on in the economy. Can't control what other decisions other people make. I can, with none of that. But we can control our own self, our own response patterns. That, that I can own. I can own that. And I can own my own heart and my own soul and my own life with God and my own reactions. I can choose to be a person who wants to live more by peace and not by conflict. What, what is that going to mean? I think, I think it's going to mean things that are going to affect us in real tangible ways. In other words, I think it's important for us to seek relational peace as much as possible. And again, I, uh, how can we do that? Let me just put a couple of ways I think we can do that. And we'll just put this up. One way is refuse to be a person who is easily offended at things. It's, it, you know what? Assume the best. Don't live, let us not live so wound up that we're always seeking to read what was really being said. You know, you meant this, you didn't say this, someone did this, someone, sh they didn't acknowledge me, I didn't get acknowledged, they acknowledged them. You know what? Jesus, live lightly. I think we carry way too much stuff. We, we, we create things. We, we create conflict uh, in our own heart. We, we, our souls are unsettled. Over, there's so many things that are going to be happening. There's enough trial in this world, Jesus said. You know what? Don't, don't borrow for tomorrow. Don't walk around offended at people. You know, you, what did you mean by that? You know? Again, I think this. When we look, we look, when we look to be... When we look for reasons to justify being hurt or um, being rejected or, or, or being offended at someone, we'll find it. You always find something that's wrong. That's easy to do. And if we're looking for something, you know what I've noticed too? The more we look for something, the more we find it. And so if I'm, if I'm if, and, and you know what else? It's hard for a friendship to endure when someone is easily offended all the time. Because friendships occur best with safety. Safety means I can actually say something, I didn't maybe say it correctly, but it's okay, because I know your heart. I know what you meant. Not, what did you mean by that? <laughs> well, I was, no, I know what you meant. You know what I'm saying? It's like that, it's like, I, it's like well, I didn't, I, no, I know, I didn't bother. Some of us get really mad right away. So I'm offended by that. You know, you didn't, you didn't notice me. 
You didn't, you didn't say that right. You should have acknowledged that. We would have that way of living, that tight, angry, Lord, help us not to live that way, not to be offended at things, you know, not to, not to, not to just take that anger and stick it inside. You might say, well, I'm not mad, but really I am mad. Some of us, the other person never has and doesn't even know that we were offended by that. Because we took, we, we didn't, we're not one to react. We stick it in his eye. You hurt me. I'm offended, right? Not to be easily offended. To be a person who lives light in the grace of God. Get over things quickly. Second, that leads right to this point. Forgive, forgive. Basically, forgive when we've been wronged. Ask for forgiveness when we've been wrong. And some of us, we, we maybe are really good at forgiving. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. I forgive, you know, I forgive. But then when we, when we actually have to go ask someone, that's so hard. It's like, oh, you know, it's so hard for us. Others of us, it's really easy actually to say, I'm sorry, you know, please, please, I, I didn't mean it. Please forgive me. I, I take responsibility. But then maybe... Maybe it's hard for us to get past something. We have a really hard time forgiving. It's like even when we want to, it's hard. Like just, it's so hard. And that is an important issue because it leads to this third piece of, of this little, like, just how do we do this, is that God wants to teach us, right, to choose to be better, not bitter. And I think that better means that I, I, I live in a way that doesn't allow things to corrupt my soul. And a lot of times, things that people do, things that people say, um, it, can, it, can get, it can hurt us. That hurt, if it's not addressed in a redemptive way, it, it, it can turn into an anger. And that anger unaddressed can become something that gets really, it ferments. It turns into a bitterness. That bitterness, the Bible says, will corrupt our lives. But it doesn't stop there. It says, watch out for a root of bitterness by which many are corrupted. Bitterness, when it works its way into our soul, is insidious. Because what it does is it, it has an outflow that affects every relationship we have. And it creates a cloud. And so the Lord wants to continually remind us to confront things when he's... And listen, I've noticed this. The Lord will challenge us when he sees something starting to take root. He will try to get our attention. There will be moments where God will say to us, don't, you need to, don't let that thing go. You forgive that. You forgive again. You let it be. You lay it at my feet. Leave it with me. Focus on my blessing. Don't you hold that. Don't let that thing corrupt you and corrode and get in there and just start to get more and more ugly and consuming. And it's bitter. It's no good. It's bitter water. The Lord wants to teach us how to be a people who are growing, living lightly, not stuck and, and just sort of uh, gunked up on the inside with just anger with this and, and disappointment with them and this is what's wrong and they're not doing this. It's just that's not a way to live with God. It's not the way Christ modeled. He wants us to be a people who move forward relationally with a peace in our hearts. But secondly, and I'll just kind of, and this is the last of the, of, the, of the sort of the five, the second of the two today, is that notice, not just are we talking about when Paul says, you know what, tell them to, to not fight with one another. It's not just about relational peace with, in our own lives, but it's also about this other idea. Because what does Paul say? He says, you know what he tells, my dear friend in ministry, there's this other person, he says, can you get in there? I can't be there. Can you get involved and help them come to some peaceable conclusion? And that leads to this. Let us resolve to also be a people who seek peace, right? Who help other people get past their, what, relational uh, conflict. 
so that we become, so again, one, one aspect of this is let's be a people who are not allowing ourselves to have a bunch of relational conflict. As much as we can, let us seek peace. But also let us seek to be what? Peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is something about it. We will have ample opportunity this year to be a people of peace. We will be, many of us, in situations in the workplace where things will be being said, sides will be being taken, uh, words, it will be so tempting for us to join in. We may agree even, but God wants to teach us how to be peacemakers in our environments. It might happen in our families where there are situations where no one will ever see it, but God sees it, and we know it. We are being given this opportunity to, instead of escalating the conflict, we can, by the grace of God, at work, seek to be a reconciler, seek to be a peace bringer, seek to bring the way of Christ in the relationships where there has been relational breakdown, where there is tensions, where there is entrenchment, where there are hurt feelings by the grace of God, not self-righteous, but at the same time, not, not you know, maybe broadcasting our intention to be the great mediator. No, I'm talking about humble ways. I'm talking about simple ways and ways in which we pray, in which we position ourselves, in which we talk to people, where we are seeking to bring about peace and life. Think about it. Jesus is the ultimate peace bringer. He is the ultimate mediator of life. Isn't that not what he did on the cross when he gave himself for us, that he brings us peace with God through Christ? And we too become, in a sense, expressors of that life when we proclaim the message of Jesus. But at the same time, I think it's even more than that. It's, it's even more than just saying this message brings peace with God and we are to be uh, um, uh, you know, speakers of that message. But I think it's also about how we, listen, just how we affect the, the relational circles of our life with the peace of God. That we bring the peace of God increasingly into situations where there is tension and anger and hurt and we seek but to be uh, avenues of the grace of God and sometimes it's not even noticed, but it is happening because we've made a determination to represent the Lord's heart in that situation. And we bring peace in life. We pray for it. We, we own our own heart. We become declarers of the gospel of peace. Now, there's the song in our handout. It's called, the, that's what we're going to close with, called The Gospel of Peace. One of the interesting things about that song is that it's, in that second stanza, look at this. It says, heal the breach and reach out with the olive branch, allay fear, Live the seventh blessing. What is the seventh blessing? It's a very uh, uh, clever lyric because the seventh blessing is the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. This is, so this idea is that we are invited to be peace, relational peacemakers wherever we go. And for some of us, this will be a huge issue for us. How are we going to respond to things? So let me pray. Lord, I want to ask you to just let your words reside in us with, with a, a great intention that we would be people who are responsive to you. It's very easy for us, Lord, to forget that one of the great callings we have, the great privileges we have, that even as you are working your peace in us, that we are called in turn to bring that peace in the circles of our lives. I pray that you would, you would help us in our critical relationships, Lord. Help us to love well, to live well, to grow in your wisdom, to be able to be a, a, an agent of, of grace in the circles of our life, Lord, that people begin to see the reality of Christ, that because we speak life and blessing, we choose not to take offense. We, we, we speak words that are affirming words and life-giving words, and we're, we're trying to be 
those who, who soothe uh, the wounds rather than exploit. And uh, this is your way. This is the way you taught us. This is the way of the Lord. And I pray that you would allow that to happen in our lives, Lord. Help us to exercise restraint. Some of us have had a real pattern of recklessness with our words, especially when we're hurt or offended. And I pray that you would, some of us, our issue is we, we push it all inside and we don't really let it go. And I pray that wherever we are, that you would keep working in us. Because I know you want to expand us to, be, to touch other people. And I, I know that. That the work you do in us is, to, is so that others may be touched. It's, and so I just, we invite you at the outset of this year to help us think well, pray well, reflect well. We ask for your blessing. Bless our, our closing song. Bless our time of giving. May you be honored. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.